That's what it sounded like last year at a Montreal hospital known as the Shum during a free health and wellness concert of classical music put on for the staff and for the patients. On stage, along with a trio of other musicians, was world-famous cellist Dennis Brott. He was both steps away but light years away from where he'd found himself as a patient in 2020 when he was one of Canada's first serious cases of COVID. It was March of that year and Canada was closing its borders when the pandemic hit. Dennis Brott flew back from the Netherlands where he'd been teaching and soon spiked a high fever and eventually collapsed. He was rushed to the Shum, put on a ventilator and kept in a coma for 32 days. He nearly died. It took him six months to recover. He credits the medical staff for his survival, helped along when they gave him some CDs of classical music to play. The hospital concert you just heard is one of a series he plans to do as his way of giving back. Brought's journey to recover his health and especially his ability to play his cello have taken up much of his time these last three years. He's also still managed to run his Montreal Chamber Music Festival, which he founded in the 1990s. The festival's 28th season begins on Sunday, June the 4th, and Brought will be on stage for some of the performances, including playing a Tchaikovsky piece that was a favorite of his late older brother, the orchestra conductor Boris Brought. He was out for a walk in April 2022 when he was killed by a careless driver on the street near his home in Hamilton. And it happened just before the two brothers were scheduled to get together in Dennis's home north of Montreal for what he had hoped would be a visit of reconciliation. You know, there are various kinds of love, and I can totally say that I loved my brother. Despite the frictions, the envy, the resentments, the, all the rest of that, the competitiveness, he was my flesh and blood. And I was his. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, June the 1st, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Dennis Brott and his late older brother are the offspring of a legendary Canadian classical music family. Their father, Alexander, was a conductor, and their mother, Lottie, was a virtuoso cellist. And the couple brought classical music to Montreal around the time of the Second World War. They founded the McGill Chamber Orchestra, which is now called Orchestre Classique de Montréal, which Boris inherited as its artistic director until his untimely death. Now, Boris received much more international acclaim, and his career mostly overshadowed Dennis's own significant accomplishments, which include two Juno Awards, dozens of albums, and the Order of Canada. These days, Dennis admits he's trying to come to terms with the loss of his brother and make peace with the rocky relationship he had with him that he never got to repair. And joining us now from Saints of Our Quebec is Dennis Bratt. Welcome to the CJN Daily. Nice to be here, Ellen. It's an honor to meet you as we speak about the upcoming Montreal Chamber Music Festival. Of course, you're the founder, artistic director. Uh, I'd love to step back a little bit and ask how it got founded. Well, I spent close to a decade in the Orford String Quartet as a quartet in residence at the University of Toronto in the 80s. Then I was offered a position here in Montreal. Long story short, I accepted the position. And then as I got established in the city, decided, well, we really need to have a chamber music festival here because there isn't one. And part of my career was playing at festivals. And I had remembered concerts that my parents gave atop the mountain, as you know, Montreal, built around a mountain, Mont Royal, Montreal. So long story short, I went to see the mayor. I made my pitch about the intimacy of chamber music and its 
you know, music being a language and this would be unifying and la la la. So he said, it's a deal. And so literally with that, we started the Chalet de la Montagne concerts at Top Mount Royal, Montreal Chamber Music Festival in 1995. And, and, and the city was incredible. Can you talk a bit about the programming? Chamber music, which is an intimate art form, just to define it for those who may not be 100% sure, it's basically one person per part. There's no conductor. There's small groups, generally under eight. And there's an incredible repertoire, like much more in many ways by the great composers, for example, like Beethoven and Schubert and Mozart and Haydn, than even symphonic repertoire. And let's not forget that this music was created. This was before radios, before televisions, before the internet. If you wanted to hear music, you played it in your home on Sunday afternoon. Every house had a piano. You know, your children... Uh, learned an instrument because that was what you did. So the beauty of chamber music is this communion, communion of people, communion of souls and spirits. And first of all, there's nothing that replaces the live concert experience. You called COVID in your email to me a scourge, and for you it truly was nearly fatal. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got it? and what it did to you for those early days in the hospital. To say it was a life-altering experience is to minimize its impact. <laughs> in other words, it, was, it had such an impact on my life in so, so many ways. And it brought forth so many feelings and really elicited from me a strength I didn't know I had. Uh, the story, in a nutshell, is that I was performing in Europe. I was in London. I was in Amsterdam. And I flew home. This was March 11, 2020. And I arrived home. And three days later, I spiked a fever of 40 degrees. I'm, I was living alone at the time. Uh, and where I live in Sassover is at the top of a mountain, about 80 kilometers from Montreal. And Quebec, like the rest of Canada, had not been set up for COVID. Long story short, I finally got a test appointment one week later. Had to drive myself to the test center, which was at Notre Dame Hospital in Montreal. Arrived there at 3, 4 in the afternoon. There was a line of 300 people. Took my mask, took my number, got into the line. About an hour and a half later, I collapsed. I lost consciousness was the best thing that could have happened because immediately the ambulance arrived and they took one look at me and measured my oxygenation, which was in the danger zone. And they say, get this guy to the hospital now. So I was taken to CHUM, which is the Centre Hospitalier Université de Montréal, which was the closest uh, hospital with an ICU room. And as it so happens, a brand new one. And I was their first COVID case of this gravity. And within 24 hours, I was put on a respirator. I was intubated. I was put in a coma where I stayed for 32 days. Uh, and there were many moments and complications, other infections, not only COVID lung, but bacterial infections, implications of the liver and the kidneys. And it was horrific. And they called my family uh, on three different occasions because, of course, I was in isolation, right? 
nobody could see you, you couldn't see anybody. But when I got out of that, I was an invalid. I had lost 25 pounds. I'd lost all my muscle mass and some uh, cognitive ability when you're drugged for that long. It takes a while for those drugs to leave your, your body and even coordinate your movements. Uh, I locked myself out of my telephone. I locked myself out of my computer. I couldn't dial even on a push-button phone that they have in the hospital. I mean, it was, it was really crazy. I finally got home. Um, in total, it was, uh, yeah, 45 days in the hospital. And I walked, I walked into my house with a walker, like, a, like an altacocker, you know, like an old man. I was just kind of unable. And fortunately, my son, uh, who lives in Toronto and was working from home, uh, came to sort of look after me. And he, is, he and his then girlfriend, now wife, uh, moved in with me. Within three to four weeks, I was able to walk. Um, but of course my first desire was to try to play the cello and, um, three weeks into being home with literally trembling hands, I tried to touch the instrument. Now, when you play a string instrument, you develop, I don't know if you can see them, calluses at the end of your fingers, right? And that protects the skin from the nerve ending and the bone, which is at the end of our fingers. Well, I had none of those. They were gone. Uh, and it felt like my finger was going on a razor wire, you know, like it was the pain, I, it, horrible, horrible. But I persisted. And from when I started to play, which was about June, um, I slowly, slowly, slowly got back. And by Col Nidre, which was September of 2020, I was determined to play Col Nidre, as I have done for maybe 40 years at Temple Emmanuel. Um, I was determined to do that. That was my goal. And nothing was going to stop me from doing it. And I did it. I mean, if you see, there's a video of it. And, you know, my, for example, they say the fingernails are the window to your soul, you know? Well, my fingernails had become all rippled, literally. And on the video, because they have close-ups of my finger on the cello, on the, on, the, on, the, on the fingerboard, you can actually see that, that half the nail is rippled and half the nail is new, you know, it was that kind of thing. Anyway, and from then on, I mean, now this is three years, uh, almost exactly, um, uh, since, since COVID. And it's been uh, a journey that has taken courage I didn't know I had. And um, I am, I would say, 90 to 95% the same person I was. Um, thank God, uh, certain things, you know, long COVID it's, uh, we read about it. Long COVID has effects, um, and both neurological, physiological. And because I do something which is so minute in terms of physical function, 
there are infinite sensibilities involved in playing a string instrument. And um, I, I'm happy to say that, as I say, they're 95% back. And I have no reason to believe that within another year, they'll be fully back, you know? So it's been it's it's been good. I can play in in, in public again, and then the feeling that I have, I hope, is not heard in terms of the insecurities that I might have as a result of the physical uh, journey that I went through, and and the complete loss of strength uh, and and absolute weakness that I that I had as a result. So anyway, that was my COVID journey, and in thanks to the Shum Hospital. Uh, and because I had met some amazing doctors, one of whom uh, he got wind, this was an oncologist at Shum Hospital, he got wind uh, of the fact that I, as a musician, he knew my name, uh, was was in the ICU recovering from, from COVID, and he brought me a CD player, which I couldn't operate, uh, and CDs and headphones. Uh, and And so I started to listen to music, and this revived me. So I remember... Endlessly, <laughs> it was funny because I couldn't figure out how to change the tracks at the time. So the same track played for hours. But anyway, it it had a. What very, was the track? What was that track? It it was actually Bach. Bach, Bach wrote six cello suites for solo cello, and uh, being a cellist, of course, and and Bach being kind of the pinnacle of musical uh, achievement uh, in terms of writing for cello. Um, it's it's something that we play from childhood, literally. Uh, we start to play Bach and we play our whole lives and, uh, until we can play no longer. So it was, uh, yeah, the, you know, that's the kind of music that never fails to inspire, right? So are you sick of it now or you still love it after hearing it 50 times in a row? Ellen, I play Bach every day. It's the first thing I do. I try to play one Bach suite, which takes about 25 minutes every single day because of this or always i have always played bach as a part of a warm-up routine but now uh it's much more to connect with the music and experience that every day it's a cleansing and so you be able to then get some programming together as a way of giving back and helping the frontline workers at the hospital who went through COVID with you, right? Right. I said to them, apparently, I don't remember having said this, but I did, that I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring music to the hospital. I have no money to help you and to express my gratitude, but I do this and I can bring this to you. So they accepted and we created, I found the money and we created a three concert series of health and wellness concerts at the Shum Hospital, one hour long, they're for the doctors, they're for the nurses, they're for the hospital staff, and they're streamed in palliative care centers, in patient rooms, and I'm trying to get them streamed over Kajiko Community Network, which is throughout Quebec, so that they can be available to everybody um, as this kind of musical therapy, musical health wellness therapy, because music has that power. So it's been amazingly successful, really. And you perform as well, like you physically are in those shows personally. I've performed in uh, two of the three concerts and will be performing in, in the other ones that are upcoming. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fantastic that uh, I've been able to get out of this 
deep, deep, deep place and uh, find, not only find myself, but find new meaning in a way, a, 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 a different sense of purpose, a different perspective on what's important in life. I know that you were sick with COVID and recovery in the time of life when your late brother was still alive. Were you aware of relatives of him calling the hospital or? Look, um, if my brother was anything, he was resourceful. Uh, certainly, I was aware that, you know, he, I got actually really angry with him uh, for giving interviews about my medical condition without my having any input or consent. Um, I thought that was sort of stepping over the line of my own private space. Um, but that was my brother. <laughs> Not going to change him. So that was that was a little bit of a source of friction uh, afterwards. To address what you're asking, my brother died a little over a year ago, as many people may know, in a tragic, senseless hit-and-run accident on a sunny morning a block from his house. I mean, residential neighborhood, out of the blue. Uh, the fickle finger of fate. It was a huge shock to everyone. Ironically, Boris and I have had, had now, a sort of checkered past in terms of our interpersonal relationship. Yeah, it was a tense tense relationship. It was, I don't think with any malice aforethought, but it was set up by my parents. First of all, we were seven years apart, which is a lot. You are like in another generation. Second of all, we lived in a home which was a duplex. The upstairs where my grandparents lived was much more a home for my brother and me then the house downstairs, the, 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 the down main floor of the duplex where we lived, because both my parents were professionals at a time. I mean, for example, my mother was way ahead of her time. I mean, she was a member of the Montreal Symphony. She was not a stay-at-home mom. She managed the orchestra. She managed the quartet when they first started the quartet. She taught at McGill University. I mean, she was a professional lady and nothing stopped her. And she also was very resourceful in creating opportunities, kind of a, a one-woman show uh, in terms of uh, uh, being an entrepreneur. She was an entrepreneur. And your dad was running three orchestras at the time, too, over the next... He had various orchestras and was professor at McGill. I mean, it was... Yeah, you get the picture. So that dynamic created frictions between my brother and me. Because my brother is the firstborn. Obviously, you know the traditions in Jewish families, particularly immigrant Jewish families, that the firstborn is given a certain privilege. Okay? So uh, that wasn't a great place to build a brotherhood. Then we ended up in the same profession. Well, you picked your mother's instrument and he picked your dad's. Yeah, that's a whole other story. But yes, that, to boil it down, Boris became a conductor at a very young age. I studied cello and conducting, but I withdrew from conducting because there was too much competition in my family. My brother, my father, it was enough. Thank you. I'll just play the cello. Um, so I, I did pretty well playing the cello. Did you want to be a musician? Or did you have dreams of your own, non in the family biz? Ellen, this question is asked to me often 
and I am very conflicted about giving a truthful answer. The truthful answer is I don't know, but I suspect that I became a cellist because I wanted to be close to my mother, like every child. And my mother taught young people my age, at the time, seven, eight, nine years old, in the house. And I can remember a time when my mother brought home a seven-eighth size cello for one of her students. And I, I wanted that cello. And then I saw her give it to the student and the mother drive and the student drive away with his cello and I was in tears. And that is how I sort of think I got to play the cello because at first I played the piano, but then I, I retired for piano playing at the age of eight uh, and went on to the cello. I regret having given up the piano actually because I wish I, I played it now. So from that time on, although my brother and I intersected in many ways, sometimes playing together, sometimes being, you know, collaborating in certain ways. It was difficult, I think, for both of us to be trusting and kind to each other. And as you know, those two ingredients are essential in a healthy relationship. As he passed away, then um, it must be hard to navigate that for yourself because you didn't get a chance. You didn't get a chance to make up. And so when he died... It was extremely shocking, another incredible blow to me after COVID, and I got very involved in the funeral. I was on the phone, you know, 20 of 24 hours a day, calling colleagues, arranging an ensemble, and I put together an ensemble which was like an all-star sports team of concert masters from Toronto, from Montreal, of principal players in various orchestras, of quartet players, of whatever. And we performed two pieces, the very moving Adagio by Samuel Barber to begin, and then the last movement of the Tchaikovsky Serenade for Strings, which is a very positive, upbeat piece that uh, Boris conducted and certainly I've played many, many times. And that we're playing at this year's festival, actually. So, anyway, it's been uh, a roller coaster. Well, I know a couple of weeks ago, uh, they announced the new artistic director of the old chamber, McGill Chamber so now Orchestra Classic de Montreal, that your family started, and it's not you. How come? Did you want to go back there? Did you want to take over and keep it in the family name? You know, when I give an interview, I have a hard time making up stories that aren't true. So I'm not going to. I was excluded from the heritage of the McGill Chamber Orchestra. When I came to Montreal, I was principal cellist of the orchestra when my mother was alive. And I remained principal cellist of the orchestra until my mother died, which was during the ice storm, ironically. My brother took over the orchestra because my mother was the manager de facto. And without getting into too many details, details, I was 
removed from my position as principal cellist of the orchestra. This didn't make for a happy relationship between my brother and me. And um, it stayed like that. So bottom line, when, the, when, the, when, when he was killed and there was a vacancy, you would think, I mean, maybe people thought you should. I would have thought that the president of the organization might have called me. I would have thought that some of the members of the board might have wanted this tradition and this family enterprise, which it was, uh, to have continued. But they didn't. And one thing you learn in life is that you don't force yourself on people in any way. That's kind of fate. I can't make anything happen with that, and I don't want to make anything happen with that because I don't want to push myself where I'm not wanted, you know? So as much as it is a family tradition, as much as we, the Brat family, are known nationally, locally, nationally, internationally, I'm kind of the last of the Mohicans in terms of the musical family because none of my four children ever cared much about music, even though uh, Julie and I insisted in their education that up to the age of 12, they had to play an instrument and then they could make their choice. None of them chose for music. Um, I guess I, to a certain degree, feel it's a loss for them. And maybe, maybe, uh, at least from an point of view of appreciation, they might come back to it later in their lives. As one does, yeah. As one does. But, you know, my eldest is 42. Uh, my youngest is 36. Uh, they have their own families. I have 10 grandchildren. Um, they have gone on to do their own thing. I'm proud of each and every one of them. Music is not necessarily essential uh, in my mind, and certainly in my relationship with them, to validate my relationship with them. I just want them to be doing something that makes them happy. I want to thank you for that deep and very personal last 15 or 20 minutes with us. Take care. Really nice to talk to you. And your questions were great. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Marty Kaufman in Thornhill. As I mentioned, the 28th annual Montreal Chamber Music Festival runs for two weeks at venues around that city. Some events are free, and we've got a promo code if you want discount tickets to some of the other ones, courtesy of Dennis Bratt. So just put CJN10 when you go online to buy. Now, the link to the program for the festival is also in our show notes. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. We'll be back next week with some of these stories we're working on. The new Toronto Holocaust Museum opens, and we have a sneak peek. And Israel's diaspora minister, Amichai Shikli, is making the rounds in Canada on his first official visit. But some people are miffed at who he decided to meet with, aside from the Jewish community. Talk to you Monday. (music) 